Glad you're here for week number six of a series that we're doing called Difference Maker uh, here at Ignite. Uh, and it's a series that we're doing on the biblical book of Nehemiah. And uh, God's had got great stuff in there for us. So uh, we've been talking about how God uses ordinary people, people like you and me, uh, ordinary people like Nehemiah, like we've been talking about, to make a significant difference, to impact our world for, according to his plans and his purposes and uh, for his glory. Nehemiah was written about 500 years before, before Christ, B.C. So that's like, you know, 2,500 and some years ago uh, when this happens. Uh, a little background, just a reminder, Jerusalem, known as God's city in that day, had been completely destroyed about 100 years uh, earlier. Uh, and people, the people of, that lived there in Jerusalem had been taken back by their captors and were now living in captivity. They're scattered throughout the region. And slowly, over that 100-year period of time, people started to come back to Jerusalem. And uh, in Nehemiah, we, we learned, or in Nehemiah chapter 1, we learned uh, that when Nehemiah, the guy, the guy that his book is sort of about, it's kind of his journal, when he found out about the condition of Jerusalem, it had been completely destroyed, the wall was collapsed, the gates were burned with fire, the whole thing was in shambles. When he heard about this, it wrecked him, right? It destroyed. He starts weeping and he starts fasting and praying uh, to the Lord and just asking, God, would you do something? And as, as he fast and he prays about it, God begins to speak to him and say, you know what? You know what my plan is? I want to use you to, to go and to rebuild this city. But more than just the city, I want to use you to rebuild my kingdom there in Jerusalem and to, to, to sort of rebuild my city. And so uh, he uh, goes before the king. He was the cupbearer to the king in that day. He ends up going before the king the, whose ancestors had actually been the ones that sacked Jerusalem in the first place got the king to agree to let Nehemiah go and, and rebuild the wall, and he even agreed to foot the bill. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? He, and, and the only way Nehemiah can explain is it, it was just because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, just because that's how good, good God is. And so he had, he had busted in and worked, and so this, this is sort of the story about, uh, about this happening. And so Nehemiah goes, they start rebuilding the wall, he casts some vision, we talked about two weeks ago, right? One and a half uh, verses of vision casting, followed by 32 verses of hard work and we said yeah that's kind of the way it goes last week we talked about opposition because when they started moving forward in the mission of jesus all of a sudden opposition came to them we said you know what that's exactly how it is right that that happens in our lives too and today i want to talk about uh, nehemiah chapter 5 and we're, we're calling it the power of integrity because that's what i see all over the pages of nehemiah Chapter 5, the power of integrity. Integrity is basically living our lives for God and in right relationship with him and others in such a way that we live upright, that we kind of reflect God's goodness and his glory to those around us. That we live in such a way that we're upright and honest and living out what we say we believe even when nobody else is around. Let me give some examples of living by integrity. I remember uh, hearing this. Um, at a conference I went to a number of years ago, somebody was here at, at, a, at a rally uh, where Mother Teresa was act, asked to speak. And, uh, and they were just saying, it was pretty, it was very memorable. And, uh, you know, as she was kind of preparing to speak, she's up on the stage. You know how that is. They got chairs kind of up on the stage. And she's sitting up there. And on one side of her is Bill and Hillary Clinton, who, were, who was the president at the time. And the other side was Tipper and Al Gore. 
Now, Mother Teresa, I mean, she's a little four-foot nothing, right? I mean, she's a little tiny thing. Uh, she'd spent her entire life caring for the poor, caring for lepers and people that were sick and hurting in the slums of Calcutta, India. And she had been broken pretty much her entire adult life over the injustices and the suffering that happened in the world. She spent her life fighting back to see God's kingdom and God's love and God's purposes prevail in our world. And as a small woman sort of stepped up to the microphone that day to speak, she decided to go off script and she spoke passionately against abortion. She told, she told those that were there, she even turned around and looked at the president at one point and talked about how no civilization could call itself civilized and yet continue to kill innocent unborn children. I mean, this is jaw-dropping stuff. She spoke fervently about many of the things that the, that White House administration had spoken and worked fervently for for years. And when she got done, she went over and sat back down in her seat between the president and the vice president. And next, Bill Clinton, the, the president, had to get up and speak. I mean, what, she had just sort of like shamed him almost publicly for his policies and the direction the country was heading, all this kind of stuff. And he gets up and he's literally speechless. He, the, 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 I mean, someone, many people in the world, it was the most powerful person in the world, steps up to the microphone and hymns and haws. And, and all he can say is this, he says this, he says, it's hard to argue with a life so well lived. And that's all he had to say. And I, I hear that, I think, man, think about that first. That's, that's the power of integrity, is it not? I mean, of living, of living what you say you believe with such integrity, such you know, wholehearted, reckless, abandoned living for God and for the good of others to see his mission and his kingdom move forward in such a way that it leaves the most powerful people in the world speechless because they can't argue against your way of life. It's the power of integrity. It is powerful. God uses people like that all the time. People who have single-minded focus and devotion to him who love him with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and who learn to love their neighbor as their self. God uses people like that, people of integrity like that all the time to change the world. And today as we're going to see, that's, that's how he prefers to work, right? And to, to, to create and to make and to use difference makers. He uses people that have that kind of single-minded focus and integrity. It's hard to argue with a life so well lived, but I have to say, not only do we see it in the positive, we see it in the negative all the time too, don't we? We see, we see ways that people that have been making a difference in their world, who choose to step out of line with integrity and sort of act in ways that aren't in other people's best interest, they, they, they decide to start living for themselves or, or functioning for themselves, and we see it wreck their credibility. We see this all the time, don't we, in our world? In fact, the media loves to report on that kind of thing. We see that all the time. I was thinking this week about uh, a guy I, I uh, had supper with um, a number of years ago, a number of years ago. He was probably in his 60s at the time, and uh, he picked me up, and we were on our way to go have dinner. And uh, as we are driving along, he just kind of making conversation. He said to me, he said, you know what? He said, I've, uh, I've always had this feeling that God had big plans for my life, that he wanted to use my life in, like in, a, in a special way, in an extraordinary kind of way, in a way that would, that would change like, lots of people's lives and would change the world. And so I was intrigued. I'm like, oh, I'll bite. And so I started asking him a little bit more about his life and his walk with God 
And, uh, and he told me about how he'd grown up in the church and he had, he had heard the gospel, he'd heard about Jesus and sort of prayed a prayer at a summer camp or something early on, uh, but that he'd sort of washed away from God and, uh, and sort of just done life on his own. I probed further and, 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 and started talking more. So, I mean, are, how about these days? I mean, are you, are you following God? Or are you pursuing him? He said, no, I don't really open up God's book. I don't really pray that much. In fact, I don't, I, I, he even admitted, in, in very real ways, I've lived a pretty selfish kind of life. He went on to talk about how he'd been married a number of times uh, and had a lot of money, blew it all on himself, sort of went from person to person, job to job, just never really finding what he wanted. And as he kind of, as we kind of talk more, I, I kind of agreed with him. So, you know, in all honesty, I, I think God does want to use you. I think he wants to use you in significant ways, but it's going to require some alignment between what you're saying and how you're living. God, I mean, God wants to use his people when they're following him, when they're so filled with his love and his peace and his presence and his life and live that out in the world. He uses people like that to change the world. When, when we start going our own way and just living selfishly, we're just going to have very, very little impact. Without integrity, your impact will, will be minimal and you'll never make much of a difference in this world, not, not a positive one anyway. As a church, we get requests uh, fairly regularly from people that want to be in leadership, right? Who want to be up front. They want to have impact and opportunity, but they don't actually, uh, they, they don't want to actually become who they need to be to make that happen. They'll, they'll be like, yeah, I mean, I want power. I want to be a leader. I want people to see me. I want to be up front, but no, I don't really want to serve behind the scenes. No, I don't want to live my life as a disciple. I don't want to sacrificially give them my time or my talent or my treasure to help build the kingdom. No, I'm not interested in serving behind the scenes where no one sees. And I have to tell them, I mean, the kingdom of God knows nothing of what you're talking about, right? Jesus paints pictures about the kind of people that he calls great in his kingdom. And who are they? They're the people who do what? Who serve, who stoop down and serve, who are serving when no one's looking and who are serving when everyone's looking. It makes no difference to them because there's integrity. There's alignment between what they believe and who they follow and how they live their life. Not just on Sundays, but on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and on and on as well. And I have to say, I think it's, this is somewhat hard for us as Americans because we live in such an instant gratification kind of society. There's no shortcut to this kind of thing. I mean, we'll say things like this. We'll say, we'll, say, well, I want to have a good marriage. But when we talk about the work that's needed to create a good marriage, we're not so sure. Or sometimes we'll talk about single people talk about, well, I want to find the, the right one, right, and so that I can marry. and They'll take care of me and love all this kind of stuff. But, but when we talk more, we'll be like, well, I don't want to actually do the work to become the one, the right kind of person, right? I, I'm not so sure about that. We don't necessarily want to have the follow through to, to sacrifice in our lives, to do the hard work when nobody sees, to become the kind of person that we need to be to move forward in our desires and in our plans and our, yeah, in what God has in store for us. I think it's true spiritually as well, right? We don't want to, we, we want to have a close relationship with God. We want God to answer our prayers. We don't necessarily want to follow hard after him. We don't want to learn the discipline to pray and to seek him and to know him through his word and through his spirit. Well, Nehemiah paints a picture uh, of two different kinds of pictures of leadership, kind of two different and opposing pictures of leadership and, and living as difference makers. One that makes a huge difference in the world and one kind of group of people that does not. 
And that's kind of what we're going to zero in on today. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Nehemiah chapter 5. It'll be on the screens. You can also find it on the Ignite Church app. I would encourage you to follow along. And so you can kind of dig into it a little bit more this week as well. But here's, here's kind of the two contrasting pictures, if I can. Uh, the first one is we once again encounter the nobles that we talked about a few weeks ago. The ones who didn't want to do the work of rebuilding the wall. Remember that? We, we talked about don't be like the nobles, right? That was one of the things we talked about. They didn't want to do the work of rebuilding. They just want to sit back and watch everybody else do the work. And, and in all honesty, they probably complained about those who were actually in the game and doing the work. And so again, we see these nobles and other officials as an example of how not to live our lives as a difference maker. And then in stark contrast to that, we have Nehemiah, who was living his life with sort of jaw-dropping kinds of integrity. He's serving God, serving others. Is he perfect? Of course not. He's a regular, sinful human being like the rest of us. But he is living his life in such a way that there's trajectory towards honoring God with his life. There's a priority towards seeking him and becoming a person of integrity, the kind of person that God uses to change the world. We're going to start out uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. It says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews, means literally against their brothers. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous, and in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during this famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and on our vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are just as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards have been mortgaged. They belong to others. When I heard their outcry and I heard these charges, I was very angry, he said, and rightly so. All right, let me just stop here. I'll give you a little bit of context of what's going on. The people living in and around Jerusalem, they're all helping to build the wall, right? We talked about this a few weeks back. They're, 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 it's a full-time job. They're working from sunup till after sundown, helping to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and its gates and its walls and all that kind of stuff. So what that means is that they are not going to their jobs. What that means is they are not going out and working in their fields. They're not raising crops. Uh, and, and as such, they can't really feed their families. They're not earning money with which they can pay taxes and provide for the needs of those around them. Now, for the wealthy, even for the middle class who have been fairly frugal in that day and age, they've probably got money stashed. They'll be fine, right? So if they don't get paid for a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, big deal, right? They'll be, they'll be okay. But the people that this really impacts are those living in poverty, right? They have no reserve. They have no income. And they have no way to buy food for their families, which might be okay for a day or two or maybe three. But at some point, after weeks of this going on, they're in crisis mode, right? I mean, there's, they have no food for their families. They have no way to provide for their families. So people are having to sell their land or take out loans, put, put, put uh, their property up and collateral or rent it out or even mortgage it uh, just in order to feed their families. Now this land was their inheritance. It represented their ability to make money. So to have to give that up was a huge deal. On top of that, they still have to pay taxes, right? Two things in life are certain, death and taxes, right? I mean, this is, taxes are still coming. It doesn't... It, it, the king doesn't care, right? If, if, uh, 
if they're not working, if they're working on the, on the, uh, the wall and that kind of stuff, they still have to pay their taxes. And so they're going into debt up, into their, up to their eyeballs. And the funny thing about going into debt is that you still have to pay, don't you? There's, there's a regular payment that needs to be made every month, uh, no matter what, even if you don't have money. If you don't have money, then they'll probably come after your house or something worse. And in this story, that's kind of what's happening, right? I mean, it's a huge deal. Now, I don't want to mention any names or anything, but nobles, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's the nobles, again, that we're reading about. We'll, we'll see that in a second. They're, and they end up taking advantage of this opportunity, saying, man, here's a, we'd be happy to give you a loan. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you're in dire circumstances. I'd be happy to give you a loan plus a significant chunk of interest, right? We're going to make some money on this. Or sure, I'd be happy to buy your fields, right? Oh, yeah, we'll give you the money. We're going to snatch up property. We're going to build our wealth. We are going to serve ourselves. Timber. All right. We are going to serve ourselves in this deal. Their eyes are focused only on what is best for them. It is not at all focused on what is best for others. And that is that is where we start getting into trouble in that kind of situation. All right, I got all distracted by that, and I have no idea where I am. But anyway, this is an issue of justice. Uh, as, as, as they kind of get into this, this, this um, as we kind of get to the, the last part of, the, of what we just read, that talks about, uh, it's saying, man, it's gotten so bad that some people are having to sell themselves or sell their children into slavery, sort of an indentured servant kind of thing, just in order to put food on the table, right? It's a huge deal. It's a matter of injustice. And the people start crying out for help, it says. They're crying out for help. And the phrase, that phrase that's used throughout the Bible is translated uh, when people are at their wits end. And usually it's when they're crying out to God and in the midst of suffering and injustice saying, God, you're the only one we can turn to. Would you help us? For instance, when the people of Israel were enslaved by Egypt for hundreds of years, they cried out and God said, I have heard their cries and I'm intervening. God stepped in and he sent Moses to go to Pharaoh and demand that he let his people go. And God uses Moses to lead God's people into freedom. It's the same kind of thing that's going on here. God has heard their cries and he sends Nehemiah and Nehemiah hears the cries of the people and he intervenes. Something that struck me this week is that it's not just doing God's work that he wants. It's not just building the wall. It's not just living our lives as difference makers that he wants. No, he wants it done in his way and for his glory. And what's his way? It's to love God and to love people, to love your neighbors as yourself. The ends does not justify the means. You can't just build the wall and ignore the injustices that are happening right before you. You can't just build the wall and ignore when people are getting exploited or those around you can't eat. You can't just build the wall and ignore those around you that are suffering, that are enslaved, that are struggling or whatever. You can't just sit there and do nothing. You know, speak, uh, I kept thinking there's another passage in Scripture that just goes hand in hand with Nehemiah chapter 5. It comes from Isaiah. It's actually written before uh, the book of Nehemiah. But it's a, a passage in Isaiah chapter 58. And I want you to, I'm going to actually read it. And I, I know I'm, re I'm spending a lot of time reading Scripture today, but that's okay. It's good for us, right? But I, I just look for the parallels because here's, here's what's happening in Isaiah 58 is that 
the people are, they've been praying, they've been fasting, they've been crying out to God, and now they're complaining and saying, God, why have we been fasting and praying and you haven't answered? God, why are we, we're doing all this good stuff and we're, we're following you, we're showing up to church, we're doing the religious thing, we're doing all the right stuff, but you aren't coming through for us. And God sort of puts back down on them a little bit. And I just want you to hear this, I want you to listen to this. Isaiah 53, I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 3, or 58, starting in verse 3 says this. This is the people. He said, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and prayed, and you haven't noticed? This is God's response. Yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only one day for people to humble themselves? Is it only bowing one's head like a reed and for lying around in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Now God is saying, God is saying to him, he's saying, that is not real worship. That's not what it looks like. That is not what living with integrity looks like. Worship is about your whole life reflecting my desires, God says. Yes, come and worship. Come and pray. Come and seek me. But then love, live it out, right? Love others. Stand up for issues of injustice. Do what is right. Martin Luther King uh, ran across this quote this week, said, said, every man must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism, meaning kind of selfless concern and commitment to the well-being of others, or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. Friends, if you and I want to be world changers, difference makers, then sometimes, oftentimes, it involves opening up our eyes and our hearts, truly listening and taking action when things around us are not right. Allowing God to work first in us, making sure that we are living full on for God, but then often serving and helping and making a difference in the lives of those around us, those who need our help most. Listen, he goes on in Isaiah 58 to paint a picture of what real worship, according to God, really looks like. Verse 6 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? What's the implied answer, by the way? Is that, is that the kind of worship and the kind of fasting that God has chosen? Yes, right? That's, that's what it looks like, he says. He says, for those that, that embrace real worship, living our lives with integrity, not just what we sing on Sundays, but living it out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, right, and day after day, for those that live that way, this is what he says, then, when you live that way, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer you will cry for help, and you will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of the oppression, with the pointing of the finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then, he says, your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and he will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fill. I'm going to read the last verse. I want you to listen to it and think of it in the context of Nehemiah. It says this, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the age-old foundations. 
you will be called repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. The picture is unbelievably similar, is it not? He's saying, you know what? You, you want to be players. You're going to be a part of rebuilding the city. You're going to be used to change the world, right? To be a difference maker. And that's an awesome thing. He's like, man, if you want to do that, here's the, thing, the deal. I want you to come not just on Sunday and not just say the right words. I don't want you just to sing, oh, God, you're awesome and we love you. And then go live as though you're an atheist on Monday and Tuesday. No, no, no. He's like, worship real worship, being a difference maker, repairing the walls. You want to know how that comes about? That comes about as we have hearts that are wide open to God and wide open to others, that we live this stuff out. We live out what we proclaim on Sunday. We live in real life at work on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday afternoon and Sunday. I mean, we live this stuff out with integrity in our lives. No matter who, no, no matter what we, it's not just a, oh, we've got our church kind of mode, and, and church is about what we believe, and it's about what we think, but then I've got business to run on the, on Monday, right? And then, then it's, I got to bring bank in, I got to increase my whole, I got to be successful, I got to do all this, there's no difference, it's all God's, if, in fact, if we aren't worshiping by the way we're living, by serving and loving and helping those around us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, God's, God's saying, you know what? If we're not doing that during the week, chances are we did not worship on Sunday. Our worship was not acceptable to God. You hear that? Is there a gulp in the room? Does that make any of us uncomfortable? <laughs> it should, right? It's a convicting passage and also an encouraging passage. He's saying, but when we do, when we bring alignment, man, God blesses and shines his glory through you. He uses you to be an instrument of repair, to bring healing to the nations, and on and on and on. It's the good stuff. Worship, God says, is both our lips. It's not just what we think or what we say, but it's also our lives offered back to God. When there is integrity and alignment between what we say and what we do, there is great power. God uses people like that all the time to build his kingdom, to bring glory to himself, to repair that which is broken, restore and bring healing to the nations. All right, back to Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to go on. Verse 6 says this. When I, Nehemiah says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. And we're like, well, yeah, rightly so. I pondered them in my mind. Can I just pause one second to say it's interesting. So he recognizes I'm very angry, but he doesn't just take action the moment he feels anger, does he? Is that probably a good thing? He says, no, 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 no. Before I took action, I pondered them in my mind, right? I thought it through, which, again, probably a good word for a lot of us, too. We don't want to, we don't want to just in fiery rage respond. Let's, let's pull back. Let's think it through. But then he takes action. Then he takes action. He says this, I pondered them in my mind. Uh, and, then, and then he says, then I accused the nobles and the officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. As if like, what's wrong with you, he's saying. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as it is possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. We're again, kind of indentured servants. Now you're selling your own people? only for them to be sold back to us? They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Which, by the way, I'll just say again, it's hard to argue with a life well-lived, right? I mean, we'll see this in a second. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. 
Shouldn't you walk in the fear of the Lord? Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of your Gentile, uh, of our Gentile enemies? What's the implied answer? Shouldn't you walk in the fear of the Lord? What's the implied answer? Yes, absolutely. He says, I and my brothers and my men were also lending money to people and, and grain, uh, but let us stop charging interest. He said, don't charge interest to Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, houses, and also the interest you were charging them. One percent of the money, grain, and new wine, and olive oil. You'll give it back, or we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more of them. We will do as you say. But he doesn't just leave it there. This is fascinating. He says, then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. Now, let's get this on paper. Let's get this before God, right? I mean, he's gonna, he said, I also shook out the folds of my robe. And he said, in the same way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep their promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen. They said, so be it. Let it be so. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Let me just stop there. That's interesting. This whole passage is, is just saturated with this whole slavery and freedom tension going on here. Nehemiah is basically, he comes forward and says, what you're doing is wrong, right? It is not right. He says, we're trying to free people. We're trying to give people a home. We're trying to restore the city of God. God is in the freedom business, and here you are enslaving your brothers. What is going on? What are you thinking? You're taking their land. You're racking up wealth out of their poverty because they're dying and starving to death. Oh, but that's just business. It's not personal, right? It's just good business. No. Are you serious, Nehemiah says? God says, is that the kind of worship that I desire? No. We sometimes think, again, that Christianity and following Jesus is more about thinking and believing. But God is unbelievably clear that Worship and works go hand in hand. If we really worship on Sunday, if we really believe what we're talking about, it will be seen in our lives and especially in how we treat the people. And can I say, especially those who are most vulnerable, the poor, those that are in need, those that are in bondage in one way or another, enslaved in one area or another. For God, faith and worship are always seen in how we treat people 24-7, not just a Sunday thing. It's an issue of loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, putting him first, and then loving people, right? Not just building a wall, not just worshiping with our lips, but it will always be seen in how we treat others. We'll keep going. Verse 14, uh, through the end here, says this. It says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor, in the land of Judah until the 32nd year, 12 years. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor, which he was. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, there's that word again, out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there uh, for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of, uh, wines, uh, of wine of all kinds. 
In spite of all this, he says, I never demanded the food allotted the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all that I have done for these people. Isn't that cool? Nehemiah, he hears their cries. He has compassion. He's moved to action. He confronts the injustice. But he puts on a clinic. And this is the part that struck me. He puts on a clinic. It's not just he's telling other people how they should live. He puts on a clinic in his own life first of how to treat people, how to love people, how to, how to love your neighbor as yourself. He's been lending to those that are in need interest-free. He's feeding 150 people a day in his own house with his own money. He didn't take the perks that he could have as governor, didn't tax the people. Uh, I mean, incredible. Didn't acquire land or anything else. Even those things would have been well within his rights. You want to know why? It's verse 15. Verse 15 makes all the difference. It's out of reverence for God, he says. Calls out injustice. He speaks out for those who have no voice, and he works to make it right, to make a difference, and he models it again. Just unbelievable. One of the things that I want you to notice as we kind of get get through this part right now is he lived with integrity. He self-sacrificed. He loved God and others. He did a sacrifice. He says for 12 years he put on a clinic. This is not just a one and done thing. This wasn't an instant gratification. Well, let me show you. I'll show you the good stuff, but then I'm gonna go live for myself, right? No, he was he was modeling this again and again and again. And I think oftentimes that's how influence works. Man, when there is alignment, when there is integrity between what we believe and what we think and even what we, we sing and proclaim on Sunday morning and how we live every other day of the week, when there is alignment, it's powerful. When there's alignment uh, time after time, day after day, year after year, suddenly it gives us influence with those around us, sort of a moral authority or a spiritual even authority to have impact. It's why a little four foot nothing can stand before the President of the United States and, and all he can say is it's hard to argue with a life well lived. That's the power of integrity. That's the power. That's part of what enables Nehemiah to be able to lead the people. It's part of why God used him, right, in a way that changed the world in his day. He did it in Nehemiah and he want, he'll do it in you and me too. But the work begins first and foremost in us. Are we willing to live this stuff out? Not just a one and done, not just a nice little token offering. Well, I, I gave a homeless man 10 bucks so I'm good now for a few years, right? I, my conscience is clear, I'm good. Or are we consistently living in such a way? Are we living with integrity? Are we trying to follow God? to love him and love people in such a way that that's just the normal rhythm of our lives. I'll tell you what, when we embrace that, when we live again with integrity like that, God uses us to change the world. There's a, Philip Greenslade uh, has this quote, I think it's great. It says, the true spiritual leader is a man or woman willing to find God's way and walk in it with such integrity and enthusiasm, enthusiasm that others become eager to follow him in. He was, prepared, yeah, he was prepared to stand up and be counted, to accept the responsibility of being somebody that others look to for direction and up to in admiration. I think it's a great quote. I wonder, uh, as, as we kind of talk through this story, I don't care which one, if we're honest, which one of these characters do we look more like? Do we, do we find ourselves looking a little bit more like Nehemiah? Or if we're honest, we say, maybe I look a little bit more like the nobles. 
over here. Let me, let me paint the picture. Right? When we say that, that our lives, if, if we're honest, we say that our lives are a little bit more like the nobles, we're happy to sort of sit back uh, and, and not participate in the work, that, we're, that we are mostly living our lives looking out for number one, for me and my family, and for what's easiest maybe for me? Or are we people that say, no, you know what? I really am trying to live one for God. My heart is wide open. I'm, I'm learning to love him with everything I got. I'm learning to serve and to love others with consistency in my life. In fact, most of the trajectory of my life is not really about my own preference or my own desires, but I'm learning, again, one day at a time, I'm learning and surrendering to live my life for God's pleasure and for God's delight and for what's best for him and his kingdom and what's best for those around me. If you had to be honest, which would you say? Would you say, no, I, I, I resonate a lot with Nehemiah, or would you say, well, maybe I'm a little bit more like the nobles than I would prefer? It's strange because Nehemiah could have just seen this as an interruption, right? I mean, he, it would have been easy for him to say, you know what? We're building the wall. That's the real work that's going on here. These guys just need to quit squabbling, you know, suck it up and get back to work, right? It would be easier for him to ignore it. But actually the interruption, the, the interruption was actually the building that God wanted to do. Rebuilding the wall was never God's end goal. Building God's kingdom, showing his power and his glory, seeing God's values and vision lived out amongst the people, that is the kingdom of God. And that is the vision of what God was trying to rebuild. When who we are lines up with what God is calling us to be and to do, we become difference makers. God uses men and women like that to change the world. Well, friends, I don't know where you're at with God today or what he might be saying to you. I mean, maybe if you're honest, you're saying, you know what, I, I'm a little bit more over here than I prefer to be. I'm not really living full on for God. If you're not realizing God's dreams, just sort of following your own path, going with what's easiest or best for you. And maybe today God is calling you and calling me to come back home, to turn towards him and ask for forgiveness and just say, God, would you forgive me and would you wash me? Would you make me new? Would you bring me into your kingdom? Would you make me yours? Would you fill me with your spirit and your love and your power and your presence in such a way that when I leave from this place, that you are what's seen, that your kingdom and your glory are what matters. Would you teach me to love you with all my heart and soul and mind strength and teach me to love my neighbor as myself? Maybe there's a disconnect for you between what you say on Sunday and how you live the rest of your life. Maybe there's sort of incongruity between uh, you know, what we sing and kind of how you act on Sunday and how you treat your spouse at home. It could be that maybe you're not doing right at work on Monday morning or you're taking shortcuts, taking the easier route, doing whatever is best for you, making yourself look a little bit better and maybe other people look a little bit worse, taking credit for things you shouldn't or whatever. Maybe there's an anger issue for you and you're just blowing up relationships right and left. Maybe there's a way that you find yourself enslaved to some sort of addiction in one sense or another. And maybe it's time to bring that out into life. Friends, God wants to use you to make a difference in your world, but it starts with you, right? It's, it starts with taking some serious self-leadership in our own lives. If there's sin, confess it before God. Maybe get some help and some accountability from some brothers or some sisters around you. 
if what you're doing is not right at work or at school or at home or whatever, would you confess it to God and then go and make amends with your boss or your family member or coworker or whatever? If you're blowing up on Facebook and calling people names, maybe it's and you call yourself a Christ Lord, maybe it's time to go home and, and recognize what you're doing isn't right. Maybe it's time to go home and on Facebook, if that's where the offense occurred, say, man, I am sorry. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I'm sorry for the way I called, for what I called you or what I accused you of. And, you know, would you forgive me? Part of living with spiritual integrity is owning our own stuff. It's confessing it to God and sometimes to others, apologizing, and then moving forward with the Lord. Maybe there's an issue of injustice that you're seeing these days, and it is just bugging you. It's eating you alive. I mean, we've got a classic example of, of stuff going on with racial injustice these days, the George Floyd stuff and, and, on and on so many others, like issues of injustice, where it's time for the church, maybe it's time for you to say, what is happening is not right. We can't just sit by and watch these kinds of atrocities happen all around us. Maybe God is calling you to step up and intervene in, in some instance. Although, again, please do so respectfully, carefully. But maybe it's time to stand up for those who need it. But I have to say, it's not just racial injustice that is around our world these days, is it? If you are living with a passion for God and you have a willingness to be used as a difference maker and to stand up for injustice, un people are unjustly treated in all kinds of ways. There are young boys and girls and men and women that are being human trafficked, even here in our city. There are people that are enslaved by drugs and gangs and here in our city. There are probably issues of injustice that are around, issues of even of hatred, bullying, stealing, cheating, on in every work environment, in every school, in every neighborhood in America. There's opportunity and a call of God for you to step up in integrity and live for God. Friends, I believe God wants to use you to make a difference. He wants to use you to see his kingdom come and his will be done in your home, in your neighborhood, your school, your city, your region, your world. He wants to use you to shine his glory and his kingdom as you live with integrity and uprightness. He wants to use you and shine through you as you fight for justice for others, to see his kingdom whenever and wherever you are. He wants to shine through you and use you as you and I learn to sacrificially love God and love others, putting their needs and their desires above our own. He wants to use you to shine through you and through me as we learn to live with him and for him, not just today or tomorrow, but over the long haul. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's kind of our cry this morning. Lord, I thank you for Nehemiah chapter 5 and even Isaiah 58. And there's a lot in there. But... Uh, but Father, more than anything, uh, I want us to be the real deal. I want us not to just say that we're Christ followers, not just claim to be uh, people of integrity or whatever, but Lord, we want, we want your way and your will to be done in us. We want Jesus to shine through. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. We want to see the world impacted in ways that only you can. And Lord, that begins with us just opening up our hearts and our hands and saying, God, first of all, would you forgive us for ways that we are so easily and, and so often swept away to be the nobles? Lord, just, it seems like the, the pull in the current of this world is just to live for ourselves, live for what's easy and best for me. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? 
Would you teach us as a church, or would you raise us up to be men and women who love you with reckless abandon, who put your honor and your name first, who fear you and revere you in our lives, who care more about you even than us. May we be men and women who live for you with that kind of reckless abandon, and who live that out, not just on Sundays, but the rest of the week too, God. Pray for uh, those here as we go, God. Would you, would you, would you bring your kingdom? I pray that you would send these guys out on mission. That as we live with integrity for you, loving you and loving others, God, I pray that uh, that you would indeed rebuild the walls. That you would rebuild, you build your kingdom here. That you'd be honored and glorified. That those who mourn would be comforted. Those who hunger would be satisfied. And that our city and region and world would come to know, see and know the living God who is at work in us. We need you, God. We love you. We just offer ourselves to you and just what we pray. Would your kingdom come and your will be done here in us and through us as we go from this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.